Welcome to the Real Family Guys podcast with Jeff Emery and Trey Gibson, the show where education and experience collide to help you go deeper in your parenting. Broadcasting from Abilene, Texas, here are your hosts, Jeff and Trey. Well, hello and welcome to this episode of the Real Family Guys podcast. This is the show where experience and education collide. Kaboom! To take you deeper in your parenting. The date today is May the 20th, 2016. Our topic for today is Hat Trick, the most important quality time. That's right. We've got a fantastic article that Jeff found for us today called Toddler Discipline That Works. It's about our attitude. We're going to talk a little bit today about types of quality time that there is. And how it's more than just what we do, the discipline things that we check out, that we that we that we try out. I think and it, it's so easy to get caught up in, and I do it all the time, where we get caught up focusing so much on our behavior, the things that we're doing, the new technique that we learn, that we don't stop to evaluate what is our attitude with our kid. And whenever we can realize what that attitude is, it sets us up in a place where we maximize the things that we're doing with our kids that help bring about those behaviors that we want without it becoming things like manipulation. We're going to talk a little bit about that today. Before we do that, let's jump into some quick housekeeping for today. If you guys want to stay notified of all the new episodes that come out here at the Family, or excuse me, at the Real, I did this last week, Jeff, at the Real Family Guys podcast. What you, you do practice. is you go to thefamilypodcastnetwork.com. Over the right hand side, you'll see a little green box that says you don't want to miss a show because you don't want to miss any shows, right? What you can do is when you go over there and you enter in your name, you enter in your best email that you've got, click that little blue button that says submit, boom, you get put on an email address. We do not sell your email address, we just use it to keep you guys updated. When did Jeff, knock in, Jeff and Trey knock out a new show? What day, what time, and when did it happen? You can jump over there. You can see what the topic is. Check it out and see, hey, is this something I need to look at right now, or is this something that I can check out later this afternoon when I'm headed home and to pick up kids and that kind of stuff? Uh, simple, easy way to do that, guys. It is completely free and available to you all. Also, questions, comments, thoughts, concerns. Maybe you guys have a topic. We have quite a few people that listen to this show. And I cannot help but think that one of you guys has one question or one topic that you want to hear. I want to set up a new little different flip on this. If you want to do it anonymously, you can do that as well. We do not have to list it out there that, that who it is and what it is. You can put a pseudo name if you want to send us in. But let us know what topics do you guys want to hear, what questions do you have for Jeff and I, or maybe a particular article you thought, man, I thought this was really good. I thought you guys would like that. I'm going to give it like a 9 out of 10. We're talking 90% likelihood or more that Jeff and I are going to feature it if one of you guys throws out an article for us. Hey, what did you see that maybe we missed? We don't catch everything. We want to see what you guys are seeing. Shoot that over to us. Trey Gibson at thefamilypodcastnetwork.com or Jeff at texasfamilyinstitute.org. No, we do not get our feelings hurt when you send it to either one of those. We want your article. Shoot it to either one of those. It's the easiest for you to type in. We'll see about putting it on the show. And again, if you don't want us to mention who it was that sent it, just throw it into the comments whenever you submit that over to us and you can do it that way guys you can also call us in 661 parent zero that's right pick up your phone 661 parent zero enter that number in don't worry you're not going to go right on the show it's not like radio where you got to go right on the show we do what's called post-production mix down in this so that means that you'll leave a question hey you know what google made it so easy that let's say you leave your question like oh man i messed that up you can start it over and delete it and then start your question over again to us do it as many times as you need to until you get it exactly right shoot us that voicemail we'll throw you up on the show and we'll see if we can't answer your question uh or if you got an article you want to show share with us on the phone too as well you can do that again that number is 661 parent and the number zero all right jeff with all of the dad gummed stuff out of the way <laughs> what are we talking about today 
Well, I thought we might start out with a, a little bit of word association. Um, so I'm, I'm going to throw some words out there, and you just say the first thing that pops oh, in your head, all right? Okay, all right, I'm ready. <clears throat> all right, um, internet. Web. Horse. Fart. I don't know, Jeff. <laughs> uh, family. Big. Uh, moist. Wet. Oh, wet. <laughs> wet. All right, last one. You ready? I'm ready. Hat trick. Gretzky. All right. You see, now there's word association for you. <laughs> okay, so we're going to get to the to the reason that uh, that we that we titled our podcast a uh, hat trick. But um, but I want to start off with that with that Wayne Gretzky association. By the way, we did not plan that word association. That's this right. is yeah. The, all, all the well, not all, but like ninety percent of the dialogue that Trey and I have during the show is is genuine on the spot dialogue, which is why sometimes we have to. Yeah, that <laughs> really was. Yeah, that was real. So. Uh, having said that, uh, Wayne Gretzky is the same kind of word association I got when I came up with Hattrick. And, and this that was where me, I cheated. That was the part I cheated on. We did talk about this part. Yeah, we, we did mention Gretzky earlier, but um, I, I was, I, I'm not a big sportsy guy, Trey. And so I actually had to go and, and look uh, for the, the origin of where the Hattrick, I, I knew it was associated with hockey. And it's basically when you score three consecutive goals, right? Uh, but apparently... According to Wikipedia, anyhow, you can have a hat trick in a lot of different sports. In fact, um, scoring uh, three consecutive feats in, in any sport could be considered a hat trick. But the term first appeared in cricket, uh, according to Wikipedia. Yeah. Um, so H.H. H. Stevenson um, took three wickets in, in three consecutive deliveries, and the fans were so impressed that they held a collection form and presented him with a hat that they bought with the proceeds. So it was a hat trick. Fascinating. See, I had no idea. Yeah, so now you know. So uh, we are going to talk a little bit about a hat trick when it comes to parenting, but um, but the term hat trick, in my mind, is more associated with hockey, which made me think of Wayne Gretzky. So there's the word association thing. And Wayne Gretzky is the great one. He is widely considered to be the greatest hockey player who has ever played the sport. And uh, one of his uh, his quotes that I've seen before that that has always just really impacted me because I, I think it's uh, it's very it's very poignant. Um, he was being interviewed one time, and, and they asked him about um, about how he was able to to do so well. And uh, he said, "Well, one of the things that, that I do is I make sure that I don't I don't skate to where the puck is. I skate to where the puck is going to be." Mm, that's heavy duty, there, man. Way to go, Chris. Yeah. Yeah, and, and so, you know, I, I think that, uh, that that has a lot of wisdom, not only in, in hockey, obviously. It helped him to to be as successful as he was. But, man, I, I think that's got something to say about about a lot of different life things, including parenting, right? Is that uh, sometimes what we're doing in the, in the moment is, has a whole lot less to do about about resolving the, the momentary concern so much as it does... Um, being concerned about the long distance thing. I'm a whole lot less concerned about whether my kids is, um, you know, is getting exactly what they want right now. If what they're learning right now is going to be something that sets them up to be successful in the future. Right. Um, Because I I think all parents, all good parents, they want the best for their kids. Um, But sometimes we lose sight of what's best for our kids because we get caught up in wanting our kids to be happy instead of our kids to be um, uh, not just healthy, but we get so caught up in, in wanting our kids to not experience uncomfortableness or pain that that we we think that keeping them happy is the same as helping them to be successful. And that's not always the case. You know what I mean? Well, and I think in a lot of cases too. For me, 
sometimes I'm thinking about what my kids need, and then I short I short I don't think about that long game. But I think in, in more often than not, for me, Jeff, I'm uh-huh. actually thinking about what's better for me in that moment and what Ooh. I don't like. And so when I see that, I go to meet the puck where it is right now because I'm upset or I'm frustrated and how they're acting and how they're being or how they're screaming or how they're squealing or how they just hit their brother or how they just hit their sister. And sure. all I'm thinking is short game when I go into that is how I'm gonna I'm gonna stop this right now. You will me a snap 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 right. I mm-hmm. get into that game instead of thinking long game. If I act like this, is this going to produce more of the very thing that I say I don't want from them, or is it going to make less of it? And nine times out of ten, when I'm going straight to where the puck is, in terms of metaphorically, nine times out of ten, it actually makes the problem worse. Now, it might yeah. shut it down right in that moment, but exponentially it seems to increase and get, in wor- get worse. Then when I stop and think about, okay, if I do it that way, this is probably what's going to happen is they're going to do the same thing to, tomorrow or they're going to do exactly what I just did to them. What? Well, how do I need to approach this thinking long game? And I don't always do that. But instead of it being about their happiness, it's, it's about my own. I'm such an awesome parent. Well, I think you hit the nail on the head there is that, uh, that we kind of take our eye off the puck and, and uh, or the ball or whatever analogy you're using. And uh, and it, it's good to kind of refocus those things. And so that's that's kind of where I was going when uh, when I ran across this article that, uh, that we're going to talk about uh, about today. Um, so let's go ahead and, uh, and jump in and let people know what we're looking at. This is from JanetLansbury.com. Uh, Janet Lansbury is an author and uh, and. Oh man, what does she say about herself? <laughs> the her little about me section here. Um, she has she's written books. She's um, she's a prolific uh, writer of all things uh, on a parenting um, perspective, especially about development and uh, and infant toddler stuff. And uh, as I was uh, as I was looking around on the interwebs, and I found this uh, this particular site, I was really impressed that, uh, that that I told Trey when 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 I pulled up this article, I was like. Um, hey, there's somebody else out there who uh, who agrees with us. <laughs> it's like it's like we we already know what we're doing. Uh, but uh, this is the same kind of, of philosophy that we have as far as being relationship based and uh, and and non coercive type parenting. And so she has an article out there that uh, that is based on um, or taken from one of her books. Uh, it's titled "Toddler Discipline That Works." It's about our attitude. Yeah. Uh, she posted it back in 2013, but. Um, but she had a lot of really good languaging that I, I think was really significant and and, uh, and and interesting. So we're going to kind of run through here and uh, and and highlight some of those things that uh, that, that jumped out at us. And maybe uh, maybe give kind of a different framework or a different languaging uh, for some of the similar com- concepts that we've talked about before on the show. Well, Jeff and I talked about this this the show. A lot of this stuff is very similar in what we do now. Some some might argue, well, why do you guys continue to pull out ideas that we already know? There's a lot of folks that listen to this show that get a lot of what we do, and some in some cases they don't necessarily connect with it. You know, Jeff and I use a lot of vernacular from a thing called Arbinger. You guys have heard us mention that before. And it's those things where we say, like, treating people as people or getting in the box towards people where we see them as problems rather than people and that kind of mm-hmm. thing. And sometimes that language, for some of you guys, really connects with it. You're just like, man, I get it. But sometimes there's some people that it just doesn't resonate well and so Jeff brought in a fantastic article that, that really conceptualizes all these things that we've said, but we're going to word them a little bit differently. Now, some of you guys who have listened to the show that already get it, I'm going to encourage you guys. Remember, I, I'm, I want you guys taking what we talk about, the message of the Real Family Guys podcast, out to the parents that you have influence over that will never stop by and listen to this show because they just won't, but they will listen to you. 
and take right. some of this vernacular with you because it, you may throw out some of those things that you're so familiar with and box and being in the box and problem, seeing people's problem, and it may not connect with them, but what Janet's going to introduce today is a very unique set of wording that she puts behind these same exact concepts that is beautifully, beautifully articulated. And uh, so listen today for some of these these things. You're like, oh, that's what, they're, that's what they always say, but this is how Janet's saying it, and then take these with you today. So she starts off this article um, mentioning that she went to this uh, this seminar, a parenting seminar, over 17 years ago. Uh, and since this was in 2013, she posted this, I'm going to say over 20 years ago. See, I can do math. Hey. Um, and uh, and I, I think that's great because some of the times when I'm looking at this at the, the parenting stuff, people are like, well, Jeff, that's not how people used to parent. Well, you know what? This has been around a long time, right? Um, she remembers that her takeaway from this lecture uh, that was by a lady named uh, Mary Hartzell, who's written a book called Parenting from the Inside Out. It's a great book. Um, that, uh, that she remembered the, that the approach was, um, was, was very um, – uh, how do I say this? It, it wasn't dominating. It wasn't manipulative control. It wasn't trying to, to get our, our kids to do things. But her takeaway was afterwards – that, uh, that there were some questions, uh, question and answer time afterwards. And all these parents seemed to have the same type of question. And they all began with, how do I get my child to... That's excellent, right? yeah. And and that's this is the first thing that that's jumped out at me. That's a predominant question. That's a real predominant question. Yeah, well, I, get, I hear it all the time too from parents. It's this idea that I'm in charge of how my kid behaves or I feel responsible for it. And yet at some on some level... Even though that's true, ultimately we've got to hand that that over to our kids so they aren't mom and dad controlled. Instead, they're self controlled, exactly and right. and that's where where I think that um, that a lot of parents kind of miss it. And and it seems like she was experiencing the same thing: is that here's all these parents stuck in the mode of how do I control my kid? Yeah, you know what we're talking about. Really going back to that analogy is we're talking about the difference between the long game and the short game, where the puck's gonna be and where it is now. And whenever we approach this with the how do I get my child to guys, listen, I am so guilty of this. And I get to that point to where I'm like, how do I get my kid to fill in the blank there? And it's so easy. It's so simple. Even for a guy who doesn't believe that it's the right thing, it's so so easy to fall into. However, when we get to that mentality, in the best case scenario, what we really produce is is children that do things based off of the motivation of us instead of how do I get my child to want to fill in the blank and right. there's a very big difference and one of those is internally motivated so just like jeff said very articulately earlier whenever we leave the room how do i get my child to puts it in a place where when we're gone they want to run back to what they want to do or what's easiest because now my motivator's gone versus the other one is how do i get my child to want to fill in the blank so that way, whenever I step out of the room, there's still that internal motivation that even though nobody's watching, right, which is how morals are affected, That's how, right. when nobody's watching, what am I going to do? So uh, Janet is coming, the author, Janet, is coming from, from the perspective of toddler discipline. And obviously, this is going to look different at, at different ages of development, different, uh, different stages of development or different ages. Um, but starting off here, um, I, I started to see what she was talking about because – when our when our kids are toddlers, when there's that preschool age, there's a lot of things that that we do want them to do. As a matter of fact, uh, I often tell people that if you were to go to one of the big box stores, you know, Target or Walmart or Kmart or something, and just follow a family around for a little while, and listen, especially if they've got little kids with them, and listen to them, you're gonna you're gonna hear a lot of directive parenting is what I call it, where where we're giving them directives, we're telling them what to do, right, or or telling them what not to do, but it's all. Um, 
you don't have to think about it at all. I'm, I'm just going to tell you, right? So what kind of things do we typically hear if you're going to follow a typical family around and just listen to them as they walk through a store? We're going to hear, you know, what? Stop it. Put it back. Quit leave it alone. Shut up. Yeah. Um, the, sit up, guys, stand listen, down. Just, get I'm in the quoting, car. Get out of the car. I'm going to say, I'm just quoting Walmart talk. I'm not trying to be crude here. I mean, that really is the thing I've heard. Is, Shut up. Quit it. You sit down. Yeah. You do that one more time. Don't make me count. Right. I, that's, that's what we don't lick the cart. I mean, what, whatever it may be that, uh, that they're experiencing with their kid, um, it, it's they're trying to get them to behave a certain way. Right. And so in, the, in her article, she says parents want to get their, their preschoolers to do things, to brush their teeth, to pick up the toys, to to, you know, to leave the house, to stop hitting, to, you know, whatever. Right. And it's clear from the tone of the question even if, if the, the words are not necessarily understood, it's the tone of voice, it's the attitude that parents have to take um, to, to correct their kid. It, it almost sounds kind of menacing, right? You know, I, um, I, I want to take a minute here, too, to make sure that we're very encompassing in this. I think it's very easy to hear moms or dads that are being like that, for instance, in Walmart or wherever else. And, and we get this mentality that... Uh, we're different from them because we don't talk to our kids like that. Like the, the that there's this mentality that you know if if a, if somebody's sitting there barking their orders at their kids like that, that that we're different from. But I think in the reality, when we're talking about these attitudes that we can have, there's more similarities than sometimes we care to admit. We may not say things just like that, like you better set the f down or something like that. We mm-hmm. may not talk to our kids, but the mentality of I am trying to control your behavior. Is still the same that we're talking about. We're we're not talking about the behavior and what a person is doing. We're talking about again, just like Jeff said a second ago, the attitude that lies underneath that, and how that is what we're focusing on today, not how you're saying things. You can say things incredibly polite and still be trying to manipulate and control a kid, and they often smell that. Well, and, and manipulation and control, I think, goes back to how you phrased it earlier. It's, it's playing the short game. Right. And once again, that's Good. that's the languaging that she uses here is that um, oftentimes when, when we're trying to get our, our kids to do things, it's like we're looking for a quick fix. We want to take care of that short game and we'll, we'll take shortcuts. We'll, we'll use tricks. We'll use manipulation tactics instead of building trust and a mutually respectful relationship that makes discipline much simpler and more, more rewarding. That's right. Now, uh, Trey, you've heard me kind of go on a diatribe before on, on the show uh, of taking a, a very clear line of, of what I mean when I say discipline. Um, it's it's different in my mind than what correction is and what punishment is. Um, and so just to – let me get my Reader's Digest version here real quick. When I talk about discipline, and I think this is the same way that, that Janet is using it here on the blog. When I say discipline, I'm talking about teaching and guiding. Um, discipline comes from the same root word in Latin that we get the word discernment wisdom or, or disciple, somebody, a, a learner or a student, right? And so discipline is about teaching and learning. And correction also is about if somebody has, knows the right way, they've already been taught, but then they stray. Correction is about putting them back on the right path. And both of those carry with them very positive connotations. You can be taught. You are correctable, right? Both of those are very positive. Versus punishment, which is um, you're deserving of pain or having some freedom or restriction put upon you because you're a terrible person, right? Outstanding. So uh, what she talks here about uh, about kind of playing that long game is trying to get somebody to do something um, is is just kind of the wrong mentality because it short circuits discipline. Uh, it says basically the, the the thought process behind trying to get somebody to do something is um, with our behavior, with our attitude, we're saying you're not capable of figuring this out for yourself. 
I'm going to have to tell you what to do, or you're not smart enough to know this. You have to listen to me. Right. And, and I think that that's a, that, that has the potential to set up the wrong kind of tone for the parenting process. You know, even if, if you think about it at the most base level, too, when it comes to, like, uh, the application of really painful things, I don't believe that you're capable of learning, understanding, and doing the right thing unless you're being hurt. Right. Or coerced in some way, right? Right. So she recognized that at this lecture that she went to is that, that this is kind of the mindset that a lot of parents had. And uh, and she said, well, what if we could do it differently, right? And she said that uh, that that was what made the, the lecture by Mary Hartzell uh, so interesting is that it took a different approach. And so she was talking to uh, a friend about it and, uh, and expressing their appreciation for this different approach. And, uh, and her friend told her, oh, yeah, Mary Hartzell is wonderful. She's helped us so much. The amazing thing is that she taught us to talk to our three-year-old about our expectations, just like I would talk to you, just like we'd speak to another person. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought that was really funny. It's like, like babies aren't people. <laughs> I'm sorry. Every time we're like, really? <laughs> but you right. know, I mean, I say I say that incredulously, but the reality is, I have a tendency to fall back to that. You know, anyway, it's easier than it sounds. But yeah, so so she draws the obvious conclusion that Trey and I are making here is that she says babies are sentient, aware people from the moment they're born, Excellent. and they're ready to begin an honest, communicative relationship with us. So it's up to us to have respectful relationship with children of all ages. Because when we have that respectful give and take with them, they're far more inclined to listen and cooperate. Yeah, that's really good. And the other side of that is the mentality of the parents that she talked about earlier. Um, on the one hand, you can have a respectful relationship with children of all ages, including toddlers and infants. Um, or we can try to get them to do things our way, right? And she says that that seldom works more than once or twice. <laughs> and it doesn't really teach us anything other than mistrust. I, you know, I have a great story for this, Jeff, that happened just sure. today. You know, my, today we just we, we have a big, beautiful house within, at, at Phoenix Ranch here, and we have a giant carport out there. That, I mean, we can fit like four cars underneath it, and so yeah, we only have two. So I, uh, oh, I say that my truck stays parked out in the rain, but it started raining today, and so it was just a nice light rain. So we went outside, and, and I always take my tobacco pipe with me, and then we smoke, I smoke my pipe out there. My wife and I were just sitting there listening to the rain and talking and watching the kids play, you know, outside in the rain, and they come out of the carport. Well, let me tell you my 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 adopted son axel just woke up and just one of those just i don't know guys if you got kids listening you might want to mute this for just a second but like pissy i guess is the word that comes up he was just <laughs> ultra pissy and just nothing was making him happen he was fussing and grumping and gropping and and um so what i was doing was he starts squealing you know that little unhappy squeal and i'd be like axel stop it and he would stop for a second, and then if, you know something else would finally bump into. I mean, all you had to do was you know fart in his general direction, and he was upset <laughs> about it. And, he, and something happened. He starts squealing and screaming, Aah! and I'm like, "Axel, stop it!" And uh, and he, we just we did this probably two or three times, and every time that I, I proceeded to act that way with him, it got worse, and it it, it was not working. And finally. He walked over to me and he sat there. And, man, I tell you, my son can get this scowl that would just just melt the paint off of the wall. And uh, and he just he was scowling at me. And, and I finally I opened up my arms and I said, come here, son. And, and uh, he just he walked over and he just crawled up in my lap and he just leaned over and he, he put his little head on my chest. And he just sat there for probably 20 minutes. Just sat there, curled up with his daddy. And then, when he, got, and then when he got down, guess what? 
pissed he was he gone. He was fine. He was gone. <laughs> and, it, you know, I, I sat there. I played the short game so long. I was trying to get him to do what I wanted him to do. And the reality is that typically doesn't work more than once or twice. And, and yeah. every time that I tried to reapply getting him to do what I wanted to do, uh, the efficacy, how well it worked, got it, it decreased. It got less and less and less to where he was just, he was back to Captain Pissy again. And uh, so anyway, when I stopped to acknowledge what's really going on, when I finally decided to quit being a, a, a turd monger of a dad and, and analyze the long game, where does this puck need to be? It was amazing how just a little bitty change in that. I mean, it wasn't that hard. I still sat there and talked to Corey. I still puffed on my... My tobacco pipe. I mean, it didn't change anything, and and that's what made the flip around. So what I hear you saying, Trey, is that the the difference for you was between trying to get him to do what you wanted him to do versus responding to his needs and and demonstrating you know uh, empathy and and even kind of coaching him to do differently, and then he behaved differently. That's exactly right. Where does this puck need to be? be yeah, there. Be yeah. there. So, so that's how she, she makes the transition in her article here. Uh, Janet goes from talking about trying to coerce our kids into doing things by making them do what we want them to do. And she says that, that what we need to do is present ourselves as a gentle leader who can guide, model, demonstrate, coach, and help our children to behave appropriately. And that's the key to discipline. And then she goes on to, and this is where we tie it together with our title. And this is brilliant. I love this languaging. She says, the way I see it, parents have to wear two hats. On the one hand, we've got this party hat, right? When we're wearing our party hat, man, we enjoy our kids. We feel connected. We're fun. And it's easy to recognize that is quality time. When our kids are laughing, playing, having a great time, and, and responding to us because we're all in that, in that happy zone, that is, that's great. And, and we want to prolong that as, as long as possible, right? But we all know that, that you can't stay there. It's just it's not possible because there's a lot of other stuff that has to get done that isn't always very fun. And so we've got to switch hats. And she calls the other hat the professional hat. Now, that's not so much fun. And a lot of parents, when they get in that place, they dislike it as much as our kids dislike it. And so we, we you know, get into this, this zone where we fall into that other kind of parenting. But she says it doesn't have to be excruciating to wear the professional hat. In fact, as much as we can have quality time with our kids when we're wearing the fun hat, we can also have quality time with our kids when wearing the professional hat. And, and this is, I, I, I can't emphasize enough how powerful this languaging is for me, Trey. The, this idea of when we're wearing the professional hat, not only are we having quality time, just like we can have quality time, but the, the, the type of quality time that we're having when wearing that professional hat, when we are correcting, when we're guiding, when we are calmly but assuredly facing a child's resistance to a bedtime routine or food they don't want to eat or or preventing them from hitting their brother or sister or something like that or removing them from situations where they've melted down and lost all control, that that kind of quality time she calls the most precious kind of quality time. And I, I wholeheartedly agree. You know, I'm not sure if you can apply the word iconoclastic to this because I'm not sure that this necessarily attacks the beliefs that we kind of, the institutional beliefs that we have about mm-hmm. parenting. But, Dad Gilman, if it doesn't get close, I mean, you want to talk about a non traditional mentality, uh, mm-hmm. almost a paradigm shift, because I think it's very easy to see quality time as playtime. And that is, that's wonderful quality. But that's what our topic today is all about is what is the most precious of these 
quality times that we can talk about. And sometimes it's that professional hat. And and, and I I know for myself that if I could walk into every one of these engagements, that I have a tendency to be invited to act like a turd dad. And I walked into it to understand that this is a precious form of quality time. Whenever my son is in that little pissy mode, and he's grunchy, and he's gripey, and he's angry, and he's crying, and he's not stopping, if I could get myself to that point to where I could see this, this is a precious time of quality time. In other words, if I could take the situation uh, under the carport today and eliminate all the stop it, actually, Quick, quick, crap. <laughs> if I could eliminate all of that and go straight to what happened at the end of today, what if I could start that with understanding right at the beginning whenever he's mm-hmm. grunchy, not seeing this as a negative time, now is the time for some most of the precious type of quality time that I can get with my little Axel. So much, yes. That's exactly, Trey, you worded it so well there. And and really it starts with not with our kids' behavior. It starts with our attitude, which what? which is once... Yeah, that's that's the title of her article, Toddler Discipline That Works. It's all about our attitude, right? If we can approach it, like you said, seeing this as a precious moment where I am, I can recognize what my child needs here and I can respond to their need. Um, it's that respectful kind of um, modeling and demonstrating. I, I, I've got a story here and, and I may have told it before, um, but since... I'm going to assume that we've got new listeners. I'm going to risk telling it again, Trey, because I, I think it really highlights this whole idea of trying to to meet our kids' needs. Uh, we'd gone to visit some friends uh, up in Oklahoma, and uh, we all our families were together, and we'd gone to uh, onto an airbase on a Sunday afternoon to the to the bowling alley, and nobody else was there. It was, it was just us, and um, the older kids had already played a little bit and they'd gone on to the arcade or they're playing bumper pool or something like that. They'd already, you know, bowled a couple of frames and they were done with that. And the adults had already bowled some. We were sitting around visiting, but there were, there were two kids who were still involved. One was Ethan, uh, who was the next lane over. And the other was Eleanor, my youngest. And at the time, Eleanor was about, I don't know, five or six. And if you can imagine this, she was wearing this cute little pink skirt and she had her her hair braided in, in two um, two braids like ponytails on on either side of her head, right? And she had a ball that uh, could have been more than like two pounds. I don't know what the lightest uh, ball is that you can have, but she was granny rolling it. And we had the bumpers down, right? <laughs> so if you can imagine her standing out there, and then as hard as her little five year old hands, and she pushed it really hard. And if there hadn't been wax on the floor um, or oil or whatever, that thing wouldn't have gotten made it halfway down, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so it's bumping against the bumpers. It can't can't go in the gutter. But the thing about it, Trey, um, she was she after she released it, she would grab her pigtails and then she would kind of like, um, you, you know what I mean when I say body English. She would like kind of twist her body like she was navigating the ball. Uh-huh, yeah, yeah, it was just it was adorable. It was so yeah. cute. And the thing about it was, it, it when it finally got to the end of, of the lane, it went plink against one of them and then plink 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 plink. plink. It was like domino effect. It was all it needed, just the exact right spot, and she got a strike. <laughs> and we we're all like, whoa. So we're clapping for her, we're cheering for her. And then she goes and she does it again. And we're just like, <laughs> we are uh, amazed, okay? Um, and about this time, we're sitting there cheering and clapping Ellie on. I look over in the next aisle over, and Ethan, who's two years older than Ellie, I look over and Ethan is crying. All right. So I want to respond to him, right? And I'm trying to be a good dad. So I walk over there and I asked him, I'm like, okay, buddy, uh, what's going on? Uh, you know, you're, I, I can tell you're upset. And he goes, nothing. And I'm like, uh, okay, no, nope, you're crying. So we got to do something else. What's, what's wrong? And he says, you guys are paying attention to Ellie and not to me. And I'm like, 
yeah, okay. So, all right. So, on the surface, what does this sound like? His behavior is he's crying and he's fussing. It sounds like what emotion? Jealousy, right? A little bit of jealousy, right? Okay. Okay. So, this is where I kick into wanting to make him behave differently. (laughs) Okay. Where I, I, I slipped in this mode and I don't want him to be crying and fussing, right? Not only for his sake, but once again, this is me focusing on me, but here I am with my friends and my son's sitting here crying and fussing. Well, this reflects on me as a parent, right? I don't want him to make me look bad. I don't know that I was processing that immediately, but I'm sure that that's part of what was going on, right? So I, I decided to reason with him. I'm like, Ethan, are you lost? Are you scared? Are you hurt? No. All right, well, then we need to do something else with our crying. What's going on here? And then he says something that put me on the defensive. He said, you love Ellie more than you love me. Ooh. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Now, them's fight words because that's an accusation. Mm-hmm. Right? That's an accusation. And my knee-jerk reaction is to tell him that that is just not true and to start listing off, you know, I, I, if you could see me right now, I've got like one hand, you know, counting off one, reason one, reason two, reason three as I'm sitting here, you know, if I really loved Ellie Moore, would I have brought you, if I really loved Ellie Moore, would I have, you know, and, and wanting to give all these logical reasons to why what he's feeling was not accurate. Yeah, I thought all feelings were logical, Jeff. <laughs> yeah, if only, right? But, ahead, but the thing about it, Trey, and, and you've hit on it already, in the history of mankind, have, has anybody ever been able to logic anybody out of how they were feeling? No, never. Not, it, not that it I'm aware of, no. It doesn't work that way, right? Because I'm yeah, trying to get moment. him to behave a certain way, and what I really need to do is I need to respect what he's feeling. I need to validate his feelings, and I need to, I need to see this moment as not an, an opportunity to make my kid stop crying, but an opportunity to connect with my kid. Right. And so and so I slowed down for a second. I asked myself, okay, what does he really need right now? Does he need a lecture on why he shouldn't feel the way he's feeling? (laughs) No. Right. (laughs) What what did he need at that moment? He needed a hug. He needed needed a long game there. Yeah. He needed a hug. Right. Just like you did with uh, with your son. I I said, Ethan, come here, buddy. And I sat down. I pulled into my lap. And I didn't tell him not to feel what he was feeling. I didn't tell him he was wrong for feeling or even wrong for how he was behaving. I just told him, I do love you. I'm sorry. I'm sorry you feel that way. And after just a minute of holding him and rocking him, that's all he needed. That's, that's all he needed was that moment to connect and to feel reassured. He didn't need a lecture. All right. And he didn't need to be spanked for crying. And he didn't need to be, you know, any of those things that would have been my knee jerk go to reactions had I not slowed down and, and tried to, to connect with him and to see. And, and once again, I love how she says it here that I was wearing my professional hat. I was trying to get him to, to do something different, but instead of, and it wasn't playful, you know, but instead of, of trying to boss him around, I was able to, in that moment, model for him something different and to take his perspective and to set a limit on his, on his behavior by asking him, by asking him to, to do something different and, and just connecting with him instead of telling him to do something different and tell him to get over it. You know, already I'm starting to kind of think about how how does this apply in some of the other areas too. You know, just just to well, it wasn't last, it wasn't tonight. It was a couple of nights ago. You know, we were wrapping up things from from supper, and and my son was supposed to clean the the kitchen. Now, when I say clean the kitchen, all I mean is he was supposed to pick up the floor and wipe off the table. You know, the the table that they use because it's also a homeschooling table as well. And and uh, I kept coming in, and every time I'd come in, it was and my mind was like, well, holy, that is the same crap that was here 30 minutes ago, you know. And I kept coming in, and and he would yeah, be working, 
He would be working vigorously when I walked in, but the same <laughs> crap was still there. And I mean, I was getting so frustrated with him that every time I kept coming in, because my son, when my son's motivated, man, that dude gets to work. And uh, and I kept coming in, and nothing was being done. And you know, I'm thinking about, and if I were to, if I were to go play a long game, because I'm I'm gonna be honest with you guys, I did not play the long game with Grant on that. And uh, and I'm I'm thinking about it. What if I had have played the long game? I would be able to acknowledge that maybe he's feeling bored or maybe he is feeling um, distracted by the new game that he had got. And I'm, anyway, I'm already starting to process some of those places where I played short game uh, parenting uh, when I should have played the long game because it would have would have put me in that place to where I could I could see what he was feeling and help him get out of it. Anyway, you know, um, I, I think that the short game, long game terminology is is, uh, is really applicable. And uh, and once again, I love the terminology of wearing different hats and, and stuff. And, and I think that um, that the that the playtime hat, the playful hat, um, doesn't necessarily have to be the the short term game because I, I think that kids learn through play, and there's opportunities to Agreed, see even yes. playful times is, is that real quality time. But I think the formative time, the the stuff that helps us to really appreciate the playful time is when we have to do the stuff that, that doesn't feel so good. Um, and, and the way that, uh, that Janet Lansbury says it here in this article, she says our kids need parents who can be capable leaders, yes. not just good time Charlies. People who sense deep down, who they sense deep down, have their very best interest, health, and good character in mind. And it, it, it made me think of this, uh, this kind of wearing different hats thing of in, in my family uh, at, at, uh, at the Emory household, um, I, I think that that we have gotten to the place. Maybe not always. We haven't traditionally always done this, but I think that we've gotten to a point where my wife and I do a pretty good job of, of, of taking turns wearing the hats to where it's not just one or the other. But but quite honestly, I've seen it in my counseling practice, and especially when I'm doing parenting seminars, especially when it has to do with divorce, that sometimes the the wearing of hats um, and and that short game long game thing gets really unbalanced. Um, toward one side or the other. It's like one parent always has to be doing the limit setting and the correcting and the teaching and guiding. And the other parent gets to wear the good time hat a lot. Um, and so like in a, in a, in a divorcing household or divorce household, um, I often hear the custodial parent, uh, the guardian, um, complain that they're the ones who uh, who have to set limits and tell them, you know, set curfews and getting homework done and, Pardon me, and and some of those things, and the non-custodial parent who gets them every other weekend and for a couple of days, um, can almost write out the the other stuff because they know that they're going to go back to the custodial parent pretty soon, and so they just have to, you know, they get to take them out to the movies, and they get to take them out to eat, and so uh, they don't have to worry so much about nutrition or about bedtimes or things like that, and uh, and and I see a very unbalanced. Um, dynamic happening in those families you know what i'm talking about absolutely and I, i'm going to pitch this as well in a way to kind of connect with also divorced families but also uh to spread this out across the idea that it, it doesn't have to have anything to do uh with being divorced or not sure even sure in our even in our family uh i have a tendency to be the fun playful uh the one that comes home and plays with the kids and Corey has a tendency to be the the all work and no play and uh, we got to get stuff done 
And so we both had to have conversations both ways when it comes to the kids. Uh, number one, the, the, the most traditionally heard and understood is, you know, my wife said to say, listen, I need you to also be a part of this house. Help me keep this house clean. Help me keep this kitchen straight mm-hmm. and that kind of stuff. It can't all be fun and play. I've even had to have conversations with my wife sometimes. And this, I mean, this is very uh, weird to have to have this conversation. But I've had to say, listen... I'm expected to do all the play with the kids, and it's a lot. When you have seven kids, that's a lot of play <laughs> that they're needing. I need you. I mean, I've had to have the conversation with my wife. I, I need you to also, even though it's not your national pre, you know, your national, your natural <laughs> predisposition. Uh-huh. I need I need some help from you with playing with them because it doesn't take much. They don't. I mean, uh, the and like here's an example of one of the ways my wife has solved that. She bought one of her favorite games called what is it? Is it Manclava? What is Malaclava. that? Malachal. That one. She she bought that game. Uh, with has little pebbles and whatnot, and she plays right. that with the kids. And it's amazing the difference that that makes. And when she just sits down and plays some games with them, have some fun, interacts. But but you, so you can see a lot of times we get those we get those things that we're naturally good at. I am a naturally good at connecting with people and being playful. My wife is naturally good at being organized and getting tasks done. And so if we're not careful, then two people can begin to split those tasks and say, well, this is my job, this is your job. And I'm the firm believer that weighing in what you are naturally good at, there needs to be a level of balance. I'm not saying it should be 50-50. That may or may not work for you as a family, and I understand that. It wouldn't work for us. Corey just, she just does not play well. For me, I struggle to focus on tasks like that well. And that's one of the reasons why we're a good balance. But I do believe that we need to be practicing divvying those out and whatever amounts we can we can handle effectively between two people. Because if you're not careful, it does and can very potentially create uh, an emotional burnout for people. Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, the idea here is that uh, that finding that balance, whether you're doing the single parenting thing, whether you're co-parenting with a parent in a different household or if both parents are still in the same household, um, this idea of, of uh, playing the short game versus the long game of being able to, to switch off different hats, our kids need both. I mean, absolutely. They, they need us to be able to play play with them, but they also need us to be able to, to wear that professional hat as well. Um, but like I said, really my, my takeaway from this article is just that, that wearing the professional hat doesn't have to be excruciating. And, and in fact, wearing that professional hat um, creates room, for, if we can see it this way, it creates room for us to really kind of make the quality time that we have when we're setting limits and, and redirecting that makes that really precious quality time um, that, that is comparable to the quality time that we have when we're playing with our kids as well. So... Um, I guess to, to kind of wrap things up, we, we'd like to, to invite our listeners to, uh, to you know, look at what, what hat you're wearing. Uh, if, it, if you're wearing that professional hat yeah, all the time, good. yeah, you know, switch it off. I mean, I, we all wear different hats in, in our jobs. We wear different hats in, uh, with our friends and stuff like that. And we need to, to recognize that sometimes we need to switch it up with our kids and examine what attitude we have. Are we trying to get them to do things or are we modeling that connection uh, with them when when we're looking past the, the the coercive kind of parenting and we're trying to play that long game what do we really want our kids to learn from this can we see this as a teachable moment and can we use this as a moment to connect with our kids even when they're inviting us to see them as little toots right so we invite you take off that playful hat take off the professional hat sometimes switch them up uh, and do what you need to do in order to see your kid as precious and amazing and uh, and worth all the the extra time that you're putting into the whole parenting process 
Well, hey guys, that's all that we've got for this episode of the Real Family Guys podcast. I uh, hope you guys take this, stick it in the pipe, and smoke it this weekend. Uh, really take a look at those things that you've got going on and, and balancing those things out. Hey, hope you guys have a great day and a great week. We'll see you all next week.